Welcome to the De-School Yourself podcast, healing the 15,000-hour infliction of public school. We'll equip you with the tools and insight to reverse and heal the effects of schooling on your ability to flourish and thrive as an independent, happy adult. We explore the effects of school, its place in society, and practical tips for taking control of your life and education. Hosted by Zach Slayback and Jeff Till. Hi, this is Jeff. Zach and I decided to put together a one-time limited series podcast on de-schooling. We saw an opportunity as most criticisms of education focus on children, and very rarely do we hear anything about reversing the wounds and damage that schooling has done to adult people and how it may affect their lives and how they may get through this. It has eight episodes total, and there won't be any episodes after that. It runs about 10 hours long. Uh, It was recorded between October 2016 and February of 2017, and we're hoping to release here in February or March of 2017. Uh, We had some great guests, including Dr. Peter Gray, uh, Brett Vinat of the School Sucks Project, Thaddeus Russell, and T.K. Coleman. We recorded this series on Skype, so occasionally you're going to hear some digital glitches and uh, breakups in the audio. I hope I apologize in advance for those. Hopefully the discussion is good enough to warrant uh, listening through that. So I appreciate your patience there. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. This installment is called The Wounds and Woes of the Schooled Mind. The history of modern American schooling is a history of deliberately prolonged childishness imposed on young people for reasons that its architects considered wholly benign. It was intended to enhance the efficiency of the national economy and of centralized social management. School as we know it, institutional, hierarchical, divorced from experience, divorced from responsibility, teaching low-grade irrelevancies, and even those taught in a fragmented, obsessively competitive way, was constructed to serve very specific purposes, none remotely connected with what any philosopher for the past 2,500 years anywhere on this planet would have thought of as education. Centralized institutional schooling, which the public has been carefully and exhaustively conditioned to think of as interchangeable with the term education, was sold, and not without great difficulty, to a liberty-loving American citizenry about a century ago. De-schooling is, in my mind, the process that all of us have to go through to reclaim that innate curiosity that you probably remember having as a child. I know that if I think back throughout my life, I think about the narrative that makes up my life. A lot of the most curious, most interesting, and uh, highest growth stages of my life were when I was a a kid. And they were never in the classroom, too, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then as you start to grow up more and more and you see your peers and even yourself, as you introspect a little bit, you see something happen to people. They lose this curiosity. They lose this excitement about the world around them. And the only other thing besides biologically changing in this period that happens to everybody is that they go through 15,000 hours of the same process. Unless you were homeschooled, and even if you were homeschooled, a lot of homeschoolers actually do take a very traditional approach to uh, education that's a lot like school, you've probably gone through this process. So for me personally, Jeff, I know that I came to the idea of de-schooling when I was a freshman or a sophomore in college, and I looked around me. And I saw all of my classmates, many of whom I had known in high school or I'd met towards the end of high school, and then a lot of my classmates too from high school and middle school and at other schools, something fundamentally was changing with them. They had lost this kind of spark in this kick, right? And you see this with some young adults and some children like when they're in high school too. In fact, most of them, that's when you really see it. You start to see they getting beaten down. And I realized something is going on. And as I looked in more and more to it, I, I realized what it is is that they had become schooled. I I was becoming schooled. They had become schooled. You know, I was not homeschooled. I, I went through the 15,000 hours of traditional compulsory state education, state schooling in the United States. And then I arrived at the state that I was in. And that's when it hit me that something is terribly wrong with this, especially if if we are to believe that the purpose of school is education and if education should go hand in hand with curiosity and feeding curiosities, something just didn't line up. Yeah, my, my experience was similar and different. I, too, went through the 15,000 hours of obedience, conformity, and authority training. Went, went to college and then entered the workforce where I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I had the job that I was expected to get and was living to the to the expectations of either the media, my parents, and of course what school had set me up to do. My my process of de-schooling was one of trial and error and one of tremendous frustration where I kept on feeling these external motivations to do things that I didn't feel like doing, yet continued to do them, uh, much on a conveyor belt mentality. It wasn't until I, I was able to sort of stumble through a process of breaking free, of sort of violating other people's expectations to live my own life, did I realize that something had been done to me and I had done something to change. That something wasn't really clear until I started doing research for homeschooling my own children, which resulted in, in the research uh, for Rise Above School, the book I wrote too. And through that, I did the, the very formal uh, study of both you know, read, reading books like uh, Dumbing Us Down uh, by Gatto, and then also reflecting back on how I had been brought up and realizing that that school process was something that had severely damaged my mind, uh, was severe, severely damaging almost everybody else's mind, and what an opportunity I had to not inflict it upon my children. Yeah, one of the things that I thought that, that really made that like light bulb come on in my head was... A couple of things. Uh, one was I remember, you know, throughout school, I was a great student, right? I'm not saying this from like the perspective of, oh, terrible student, right? You need to be de-schooled. I've, I, I got good grades throughout school. 
Uh, for the reason for me, it was if you got good grades, they'd leave you alone, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you did your if you did your work, they would allow you to leave the camp a little early, or maybe they'd allow you to go do other things. And for me, it was like, okay, focus on doing this work, getting it done, getting good grades, getting good test scores. Because if you don't get good test scores under No Child Left Behind, ooh, uh, you're you're going to be in remedial classes. You're going to have weeks of your school year taken away where you you have to bring those test scores up because the school is going to lose its money. And so there's this narrative, right, that I remember as a child, like something's not right. And I wasn't like some radical libertarian anarchist child. <laughs> I just was somebody who really enjoyed learning. I really enjoyed the actual process of learning. And I saw this doesn't happen at school like it's supposed to. And if you read, if you read Gatto and if you read John Holt and you read the history of uh, compulsory state schooling, you'll see that it's it's actually not supposed to. And that's that's an entirely different subject that we can touch on in a little bit. But the other thing I saw that I, I'm glad you brought up talking about raising your own children, Jeff, because the other thing I saw was after my sophomore year, I went to go work uh, at the company that I'm with right now, Praxis. And I got to meet a lot of other high-functioning young people, right? Either as our applicants or at conferences where I was giving talks on education and on career development. And I noticed this interesting theme. The ones who had been very, very thoroughly schooled, either they had lots of credentials or they had really great grades, were probably worse at adapting to the real world and finding out what fulfilled them than the ones who either they just kind of totally blew off school or they were homeschooled. A a good number of our participants to this day are homeschooled and I have, I identify fewer problems all in all with them, you know, finding what they enjoy doing, not having a sort of stress or anxiety bearing over their shoulders at all times. They have a stronger sense of that curiosity around them. And this was really curious to me because I knew something was wrong with higher education but then I saw this happen, and then I remembered that earlier narrative of when I was a, a kid myself, a student in school, and I realized, oh, this goes back. This isn't just something like college, right? Everyone mm-hmm. everyone likes to say all the problems with college and higher education. Trust me, they're there. But this goes much deeper than that. And yeah. I, I, I think that there's not just – de-schooling isn't just like this abstract concept. It's something very, very personal that everyone has to go through if they want to lead some kind of fulfilled life. Yeah. You say, you mentioned praxis and how you, you could see them struggling to be independent and self-driven. And praxis is a very independent and self-driven uh, environment, you know, requiring that kind of mind, that sort of what we hope is a de-schooled mind. We should keep keep in mind that – that the, the usual job or the, the corporate or college experience is one of conformity and authority yep. and following instructions. Yep. So uh, when you graduate, you know, when you go to college and you're expected to comply, follow assignments, do as you're told, uh, conform, not, not pull your own path, then that's, you know, that's what actually draws success is to actually be the schooled mind within the institution. Yep. And then a lot of times when you go on to be anywhere from, uh, to, from a factory to uh, uh, Intercorp, I'm, I'm trying. I'm struggling to remember the name from Office Space, but that that terrible company. Intertech, I think. I think it's Intertech. Intertech. Yeah, I think that's uh, what it is. You know, they still want that mentality of having uh, people to to associate 
their 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 work and their workday as being something that comes from outside, comes from authority, something where they're they're told what to do, they're told when to go to the bathroom or when to have lunch or when to go home. Uh, so much you so know. that the people who are actually put in the positions of telling people what to do are caught off guard and confused. I mean, I, in in the movie, you know. You have the boss come along, and and when one of the main characters finally kind of like throws off the shackles of his nine to five job, he's so confused by the fact that this guy is like not sending all the TPS reports at the time that he asks him to. So, Peter, what's happening? Now, are you going to go ahead and have those TPS reports for us this afternoon? No. In fact, look, I'm going to have to ask you to go ahead and. Let's come back another time. I got a meeting with the Bobs in a couple of minutes. And, and I'm glad you bring this up because the history of, if you look like the history of the evolution of the workplace uh, in the United States in particular, I can't speak to other countries that well. It's very similar parallel development to the development of compulsory uh state education, state schooling in the United States. Around the same time that you have this idea that, oh, we can measure everything, this kind of like cult of science, right, that you have that develops really in the late 19th century, early 20th century, you also have this cult, similar cult of science in the workforce. This idea of, oh, we're going to watch people on the assembly line with stop, with stopwatches, and we can make them more efficient by uh, measuring how quickly they're putting things together. This idea of Taylorism, it comes about almost exactly at the same time, and that's not coincidental. A lot of people in the world have a persistent feeling of either discontentment dissatisfaction or otherwise discomfort, even though they're doing everything that they were ever supposed to do. So they went to school. They got on the conveyor belt, essentially. They went to school. They, they went to the right college. Perhaps after that, they got the right job. They may have then got married, have kids, empty nested, went to retirement, and then eventually stepped into the void without ever really feeling satisfied. Uh, the, the entire, the sense of, of inadequacy and, and not ever accomplishing enough while staying enormously busy seems to be a persistent theme of people, uh, again, not finding satisfaction, not finding happiness, yet doing doing everything they feel like is right in life. And so if you have some of these feelings you, you that you can identify with, these might be sort of symptoms that you may have been trained or you may have been conditioned to live life in a way that doesn't work best for you. And so, Zach, now I, I've, I have, list, I have these, um, this listing of common frustration and feelings that I thought mm -hmm. we could talk to. And then you, we could also talk to uh, that difference between happiness and boredom. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And one of, the, I mean, one of the things I, I want to say quickly is conditioning is a scary word for a lot of people, right? If you're, you either think of like Pavlonian dogs or you think of some grand conspiracy theory and if you've listened this far in everything we've been saying, you know the direction we're going at with all this, with the conveyor belt, with how you get stuck in this conveyor belt mindset. But the really scary thing about all of this, I think the scariest thing about all this is that it isn't, you know, this kind of like loony conspiracy. It's something that happened very consistently as an, the amalgamation of a lot of forces coming together around the same time. And that's scary to me, at least, because if it were a conspiracy, and this is something, this is a point that Gatto makes as well in his underground history, 
if it is a conspiracy, you can just chop the head off the Hydra, right? If it is just like, oh, we want all these people to be conditioned in this specific way, and it's like one group, one cabal somewhere like on Jekyll Island in like Georgia or something, there's an easy solution, but there isn't. And that's why this this series is together, uh, because we want to look at what are those solutions for you personally, at least. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, I mean, to that idea of indoctrination or conditioning, which seems so sinister, the it's 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 a while it's kind of a scary concept, we we still a lot of people might put that feeling that they have of of dissatisfaction on being human nature, or being a cultural artifact of being human, or being you know just a necessary evil that you know life deals out with us. Without thinking about, you know, uh, how what the most effective way to put ideas into a person's mind is by getting them when they're children, and you know, giving them ideas. So even if you don't want to use the word conditioning or indoctrination, you can still appreciate that reinforcing certain ideas to children repeatedly in an environment where they they have no authority or no no free agency is still a very powerful way to affect a person's behavior for their entire lives. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if I were trying to set up my own society, right, and there are philosophers, like this is Rousseau's idea, actually. Uh, if I were trying to set up my own society, you know, it could be a benevolent whatever-ist society, right? If you're a socialist, benevolent socialist. If you're libertarian, benevolent libertarian, it doesn't really matter. If I were designing that society, though, the thing I would do absolutely what i would do is i would get the youngest most defenseless people in the society and hold them and reinforce the same ideas and the same behaviors to them for a number of years Ah, heck i'd do it just for a couple of years at the very least why wouldn't you do that if you have that kind of power even we're not making necessarily a value statement we could do a whole another series on that on the the whether or not this is malicious or not but it just makes sense from like a central planner perspective mm-hmm. yeah and this this is the tool of religion as well that, that's sort of off topic for this this podcast uh and, and the tool of parenting to some degree so let, let's go back to some of these common frustrations and feelings that people might have and so we're going to go through this list and if, if you as a listener um ever feel these things for yourself, just just put that into your uh, your portfolio of things for self-examination later. So the first one is, have you felt pressure to perform well in school, test well, do every assignment asked of you, and get good grades, even if you actually do it, or even if you didn't actually do it? Uh, have you felt compelled to attend a college or a certain college? Like school, have you felt compelled to complete college, do your assignments, test well, and get the good GPA and diploma? Have you felt like external credentials, such as a diploma, a degree, were absolutely essential to your future success? Have you ever entered a career because it was what you were supposed to do? Have you had to enter a career because it was considered a stable, lucrative, respectable, etc. type of job, regardless of what you thought of the actual work task? Have you let others control your schedule and time without your own consideration? Have you purchased things you may not have really wanted? 
Have you sought the approval of your parents, teachers, employers, or friends at high cost to yourself? Have you made large life decisions, such as going to college, choosing a job, getting married, having children, automatically with little evaluation or thought to what you should decide? Do you have trouble managing free time? Have you struggled in seeking to find, quote, permission to do something? Are you a permission seeker? Have you had trouble being creative? Have you felt you needed to conform to others? Have you had trouble directing yourself? And have you felt frustration at your own inabilities and powerlessness? I think just generally, have you felt this sort of listless unhappiness? Especially if you are someone who, say, is under the age of 35 right now, is kind of like floating about and not knowing where you're going. You know, if, if you resonate with these things in this list, we, we would say that a lot of people are going to tell you, well, that's just life, right? Suck it up and move on. And I find that a ridiculously cynical. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because when I talk about these things, a lot of the times if I talk to someone who's got like a very traditional mindset, they say like, oh, you're so cynical. And I'm like, no, I, I actually think I'm the least cynical of all of you. <laughs> I, I'm the most positive, the most optimistic about human ability and creativity and nature. But a lot of people look at this perspective and say, well, that's just part of life. That's what you have to deal with. But if you actually look at people who haven't gone through these processes or who have made concerted efforts to not to, to fight these kinds of ways of thinking, they tend to be very happy. They tend to be very fulfilled. They don't live a perfect life. It's not a panacea. But they don't experience this sort of ennui, this sort of like existential dread that I find is more and more common with the students I talk to especially like the high performing students, right? It's easy to dismiss a lot of the things on this list as, uh, you know, if you are not a high performing student or an overachiever, because the reality is a lot of overachievers are people who suffer with a lot of these things, you know, directing yourself, needing to conform to others, being creative, managing their free time. I I saw it every single day when I was at Penn and I see it still uh, every single day day when I interact with a lot of high achieving young people out there. And I think the big reason is that a big, one of the big overarching reasons here is that you spend 12, 13, 14, 20 years in a, an institution and environment. And out of all those years, you know, you're spending what, eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, and then you go home to these people that are called quote unquote, quote, your family that you only see for a couple hours a day. And usually they're like yelling at you to finish your homework anyway. So it's almost as if they're an extension of the school while they're, while you're home. Is it any surprise that when you move into other spaces where, hey, maybe I can actually direct my own time or my own learning, you have a difficult time doing it? I don't think it is at all. Mm-hmm. You spend all these years being stimulated externally and it's like, oh, well, how do I deal with boredom? Yeah, but exactly. Um, in that article in your book, uh, The End of School, uh, The De-Schooling Mind, why don't you go through the, the left-hand column of, of what the de-schooled mind, or the, what the schooled mind, rather, uh, is? Because I think yeah. it's, it almost represents these, these sort of folksy type of uh, attributes we just listed in a more, uh, it almost had uh, more of a psychological or scientific feel. 
these are just observations that I have made through both my own research, you know, reading the literature out there. Uh, a lot of the literature I'd like to, to read on this is either uh, history, and you got to be really careful with history because history always has some kind of agenda, um, economics, some anthropology, some sociology, but sociology is mostly uh, a junk science as well. So when I when I tell people, you know, I, you should go out there and do your own research about this, you have to be very careful about your sources. Uh, I personally say, you know, I was on having another conversation with somebody else the other day, and I said, don't read anything that is written by anybody with an EDD after their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Because, oh, they're an expert in the systems of schooling. That's great. That's not particularly helpful when we're actually talking about de-schooling or when we're talking about learning to learn. So the schooled mind is something you see. I would say this is the status quo, right? This is your average American. I think it's, again, I think it's actually more common to see in high-achieving young people, people who have spent their whole lives getting pats on the pats on the head or being able to escape the pain that comes with you know failing a test and then having to sit in test prep the the schooled mind it's a consequence of imposed visions and definitions for the future it crowds out the vision of the de-schooled mind which i can talk about in a minute the vision of the student left alone from imposed systems so somebody who has a schooled mind they have their their the way they think about the world and the way that they think about their place in the world is very system-based. And there are organic systems, there are uh, imposed systems, whether you want to call them you know, self-created or not. It's very much the consequence of systems that are imposed on them. They're kind of a gear in the system. And if you're smart and you're hardworking, you can be a big gear in the system, right? You can rise up through the ranks and eventually become like senior vice president of investment banking at Goldman Sachs or something. But you're still ultimately a gear in that system there are steps for you to move on and that's how a lot of young people a lot of people in general view the world and you know it's kind of the conveyor belt mentality that oh i finished college okay now i either go get a job that pays at least this much amount amount of money per year because that's what the college reported the median uh, uh starting salary is for someone coming from my college or i go to graduate school okay and those are like the only two options they imagine and that the school my it is simultaneously indefinite, meaning it doesn't really like have something it's moving towards. Somebody who possesses the schooled mind, they don't really have what Napoleon Hill, who you did a great podcast on some of his stuff, uh, calls definiteness of purpose, right? That you know why you're doing things and what you're trying to move towards. Even if that definiteness of purpose is leisure, <laughs> you still have something that you're moving towards. But it's also, it's, so it's indefinite, but it's the con consequence of these limitedly defined systems, right? So it's just knowing to move up further and further up the system. Uh, it, even if you become you know, the, the CEO of this established organization or a senator or something like that, you're still moving up through this defined system. You're not creating a new organic system around you. The, the mind, the schooled mind is constricted in the options with which it operates. So again, if you think you graduate, and you see, oh, well, I graduated, and I, I see this all the time. I see this all the time where people graduate and they think, oh, well, well um, I can either go get this job at Deloitte or I can go to grad school. And it's like, no, no, you you actually have a lot of options available to you. You, can, you have an indefinite number of options available to you, an infinite number, sorry. You have an infinite number of options available to you. You can do all these different things. You could, I even think that 
if you purposely create an option that looks more like leisure, that is better. And I think it signals more about you that's valuable to other people than just going down the track that everybody else goes down. So this is a mind that sees only options A, B, and C, when in reality there's options, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down as many options as you can possibly imagine. It's a systematized mind and it's managed. This is something that's really, really, really significant when we're thinking about learning, right? It's this ridiculous idea, this totally bonkers idea in school that there are separate subjects like English and government and algebra and statistics and chemistry and history, economics, music. And then there's totally separate from this all, all there's the real world. It's, it's like this idea that you can sit down and make a curriculum about everything that you interact with. When in reality, if you watch children or even people who, you know, are, have de-schooled themselves to a certain extent try to learn things. They learn things when they need to learn them and they learn them relatively quickly because they have an incentive to learn them quickly. So I think about, I mean, a lot of young kids, especially homeschool kids who say they play like Minecraft, right? And at a certain point you'll get really good at Minecraft and it starts to get a little boring. So you can learn how to mod the game and you have an incentive to create these mods and you have to learn certain things in order to create these mods. Now, do you think that the child is going to learn faster when they have that incentive and they have some sort of they have some sort of context in which they can put it in or do you think they're going to learn faster if you just throw them a textbook on how to create the mods totally removed from the fact that they got to that point in the first place hey guys it's pat and welcome back to another minecraft video and today me and bomby are here for another epic explosion he's on like a tnt tree it's like the most epic tree ever and guys what we're going to be doing today is blowing up a giant school I know I've been reading the comments lately and a lot of people are saying they're going back to school. It's so early. I feel like it's earlier every year. So I figured we had to get some revenge on this epic school and kind of just blow the whole thing up. And as you guys may have known, maybe not, I actually graduated from college in December and I went through it, guys. I know how you feel. Sometimes it's horrible, but it's like one of those important things you have to go through. So I figured before everyone's in school, we just we just blow up a giant one. Another way to look at the, the schooled mind or this opportunity is that a lot of people might see something else that they find really attractive, uh, something elusive and positive. And, and this was my experience, and we talked about this briefly, is that, you know, I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers with what was considered one of the best jobs in the country, uh, with a solid track of, you know, making partner and eventually making uh, perhaps even a seven-figure salary. Uh, but really wanted to start my own business. And I just night after night, I would sit and do the analysis in my head of, well, if, if I want to have my own business, then I have to quit the job and start the business. There's no, and, and the logic in the, in the decision uh, was, was faultless. Uh, obviously, I could not have my own business if I stayed at my job. So I knew I had to quit my job to start my business. But I couldn't, for some reason, I could not emotionally accept of uh, you know taking that change, taking that risk and that independence, and it took me a long time to realize that I had been probably trained for some reason to not to be to avoid risk, to avoid change, and to avoid independence. Absolutely. So, I mean, go back to what we were just talking about, right? If you do this thought experiment of you're trying to design a society around you, even if you're like a benevolent kind of you know uh, laissez-faire kind of person. 
people who take risks are unpredictable. They are very, very difficult to manage. And whether you're doing this from like a government perspective, or you're doing this from a corporate perspective, you don't want people to uh, be difficult to manage at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another variant of this is uh, sort of this phrase is, you know, I'm happy or free or creative when I do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of people have a, a, an intimate and real experience of living outside of their schooled mind. And that might come from, a, you know, a hobby, you know, of, you know, painting or being a musician, or maybe it comes from a, a sport or uh, travel or just taking vacation or reading or, you know, study, you know, for, for a lot of people in our, our, our circle, it might, it might be studying, you know, philosophy or economics, or there's just these activities where you're outside of, of the, the external authority uh, system of schoolwork, etc. And you actually experience what, you know, these little glimpses of being de-schooled is. And even that, I think, you know, provides sort of a both a powerful and and also kind of sad, uh, you know, comparison point to to what the school mind and what the school life looks like compared to these little these little yeah. islands of happiness. Oh, I mean, there's 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 oh, there's so much good content in here. Uh, yeah, so it disrupts school, makes it very very difficult, or being in a school state makes it very very difficult to fall into what you know a lot of people refer to as a state of flow, right? This idea that you're doing something usually creative, although not always, uh, could be sports, it could be working out, it could be cooking, it could be art, it could be coding, it could be writing, whatever it is. And you feel like hours pass and minutes, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is, even if you do experience that at school, like, uh, for example, I, I was in orchestra and band and stuff like that right and those classes were always such a reprieve for me because that's where i actually got to learn a lot of the stuff that was actually really valuable for me like uh leadership skills and like actually applicable mathematics and all these other subjects but i'd also sometimes fall into a state of flow and we all of our periods were 39 minutes long so as soon as you start to fall into that state where you feel like you're actually being productive and learning things and being fulfilled the bell rings and you have to leave, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's such a stupid way of trying to actually get people to get to a state where they are fulfilled. It, can people imagine a life where that 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 sense of flow or that sense of satisfaction or that that uh, sense of intrinsic motivation is is not just in these little tiny pockets of of that you know time fixed band cl- class? Uh, or or the glass of wine on the weekend or whatever can it be can it be much more can it be a, a total part of life that you know that can still uh, participate in paying the bills that can still uh, raise children etc and yeah. you know th- of course I think the answer is absolutely yes uh, yes and that's what we're trying to to sort of promote here in a in a big way well I think one of the one of the scariest things uh, about when you realize just how schooled your own mind is, is a sort of fragility that comes with it, right? This idea that if you are learning something in a certain way that has been prescribed to you in these like 39 uh, minute chunks or for an hour every Tuesday and Thursday, or, you know, with a midterm 
exam coming up or uh, with the TPS reports you have to send over to your manager, right? Like being schooled is not merely a function of school. It extends very much into the workforce. Uh, and if you try to learn things in different ways or you, it's exposed to you that there are different ways of doing these things, if you're very, very thoroughly schooled, it's going to be difficult for you to grasp this. This is one of the things that I you see so often, you know, there's this great video going around on Facebook of um, Gary Vanyerchuk. He, you know, he's like this digital marketing kind of guy and a little, a little on the cheesy side, but, you know, he, he's all, he always, <laughs> I love watching his videos because he always looks like he's like a little coked up and he's just so energetic and he's talking with uh, Larry King. And first of all, the juxtaposition between the two of them in energy is hilarious. Uh, you have to go watch this video. Okay. But he makes this point. He does one of the things things that is least impressive to him or most worrisome to him is when he meets a young entrepreneur who had great grades and went to a great school. That's scary to him because they have a very fragile way of looking at the world. And you can see this, and this, this happens when elite high school students go to college and their conception of themselves are shaken a little bit. Like a lot of these elite colleges actually have like a really high suicide rate. Uh, I know that within something like 18 months of my sophomore year at Penn, something like six, seven, eight kids killed themselves. Wow. And that's because you have your identity tied so much to being a student and to learning in this way and being a good student. Whereas I think that the the world that you're challenging us to envision is one that is more like anti-fragile, right? As things change in the world around you, as you come up against challenges – you either a don't have to deal with them because you're not like coerced into dealing with them as we are for 12 years of school or B you become stronger, both in your conception of yourself, your way to deal with them uh, psychologically and the knowledge that you have to gain in order to do that. Here's, here's a, um, absolutely great. Here, here's another, uh, symptom that I think maybe just applies to some people. And, and you tell me whether this is, has anything to do with schooling or not is that some people might be infantilized longer than they should be or might oh, have yeah. trouble growing up. And where they they come, and maybe it's it's the praxis people you were talking about when finally being asked to, to set their own vision, set their own direction, have a horrible time, and have learned to become dependent so much that they actually have trouble being self-directed grown-ups. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen that to be the case? Yeah, I mean, thankfully for us, most of our practice participants are kind of like the outliers who are better at that. Uh, but obviously, that's all on a spectrum. And, and I do want to say, you know, de-schooling is not a panacea for everything, but I do think that this is actually something that is very much directly connected to school. Uh, if you, and we'll, we'll talk about this more, you know, in future future podcasts, but if you look at the anthropology and the history of learning, in the history of education separate from school, the idea that somebody is kind of a ward either of their parents even, but especially a ward of like this total stranger state around them is a very, very recent idea. And I think one of the imperatives for us to talk about these ideas is, is that we actually are today in the first really fully schooled generation of people here in the United States. Because up until mid 20th century or so if you treated an 18 year old like a child it's insulting they're an adult mm -hmm. yeah. if you go back even further you treat a 16 year old 
like a child. It's insulting. They're an adult. And some people will make jokes about how, oh, haha, well, that's because everyone died at 35. And that's that's statistics, actually. Despite the fact that so many people are taking statistics classes in school, people are very, very bad at understanding statistics and context around them. So it's actually not even a very good statistic. But yes, this idea of adolescence, this idea of student dumb, right? One of the uh, articles I have in my book is, you know, what is childhood? What's the purpose of childhood? A couple of different articles. Uh, and let's abolish childhood. Because at the end of the day, we in the United States today, when you think of children, Jeff, you know, you might be different because you're, you're one of these weird people that doesn't send their kids to school. But when you think of children, what is the image that appears in your mind? For most people, it's a student. It's yeah. somebody who goes to school, they get on a school bus, they go, they take the apple to the teacher on the first day, or if they're, you know, in certain cities, they maybe like curse the teacher on the first day, and then they come home, right? That's not what childhood is supposed to be, though. It's not supposed to be defined by the social status uh, that people are forced into until they're 18 years old. And 18-year-olds share that same status with 7-year-olds. So yes, absolutely. You get people who they're 18, 19, 20 years old. They've never had any sense of independence. They've never had any real responsibility on their plate. The only responsibility that they probably have had is to get into a good college. And even that's very much uh, exogenously motivated. So this is just a list that I've put together based on reading some of the history on schooling, um, interacting with young people who have been very schooled, interacting with young people who haven't been schooled. And this is obviously an incomplete list, but this is these are the big ones that leap out at me. That the schooled mind is a consequence of imposed systems and definitions of the future. Uh, if you interact with somebody who has been through a lot of schooling and thinks in a very schooled way, they probably have like three or four different ways that they view how the future can play out. They have, you know, very, very tracked ways of thinking and it's difficult for them to wrap their minds around different approaches to things. Uh, you know, my colleague Isaac likes to ask people like, why don't you quit your job or why don't you travel abroad or why don't you drop out of school? And that always hits people as very, very kind of weird. And it's because they work in this kind of imposed mindset of like, you have to justify everything you do, right? That isn't off this mindset, that isn't on this mindset. Then the schooled mind is simultaneously indefinite, meaning that there really isn't something that a lot of people who are very schooled are moving towards. They're kind of moving towards prestige. They're kind of moving towards pats on the head. They're trying to kind of moving towards just general comfort. But at the same time, it's this consequence of these really limited and defined systems. So you can imagine a track, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't know like really what's at the end of the track, right? Just that you need to go up the track. Just keep going up the track. You know, when you, whether you want to call that the conveyor belt or a career or something like that, that is a very common theme that you'll find from people who are very, very highly schooled. Because as soon as they fall off that track, they fall into a very, very difficult state, whether it's, you know, a big divorce or they lose their job or the economy takes a turn for the worse or somebody in their family dies. They have been on that track and that way of thinking without knowing quite where they're going for so long that it's difficult for them to conceive of any other kind of track that they can jump on. 
Then the schooled mind, these are all kind of tied together, these first three. The schooled mind is constricted in its options with which it operates. So if you imagine, I see this a lot with college grads, right? Recent college grads or recent high school grads. They graduate, say, from a prestigious school, and they realize, okay, uh, I can either go get a job or go to grad school. And they say that as if those really truly are the only two options available to them. And usually when they say a job, they mean either a job in like New York, Boston, uh, San Francisco, like a prestigious city as well. Or if it's, you know, a local state university, I can go get a job back home or I can go to grad school. It's that there's only A, B, or C options available, and when in reality it's this infinite spectrum. There's all these things between A and B, and then there's all these things between B and C, and there's all these options available to them. But they've been living in a system for so, so long where when you get to the end of one level of the game, okay, now you get to choose your classes for next semester. You can only choose this many classes, or okay, now you get to go to college or go to technical school or do these things. And anything, any deviation from that system is looked down upon. So beyond that, we have that the school mind is very systematized and managed. So this is a way of thinking, right? This is something you see really common in school, that people think of the world as divided into subjects. I meet young people all the time who are like, oh, I uh, I am interested in English. Do you have any jobs in English? And I just kind of look at them like, what What do you mean? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what you mean by jobs in English. Yeah, like all our jobs are in English, English, right? You know, except right, for right. the I mean, all of our jobs are English. <laughs> Not international yet. Uh, or like, oh, I, I'm interested in physics. Do you, do you have any jobs in physics? And it's like, I have jobs where being a physicist is something that's possible. Is that what you're talking about? Are you asking me about becoming a physicist? It's this very like systematized and I, I'm someone who very much likes systems, but there's a difference between systems that you create for your own purposes and for your own efficiency and for making your life better. And those systems that are imposed upon you and something you learn through school is that the world is broken down into these systems. And that's, that's a really confusing way of thinking about it when you actually get into the rest of the world. Then you also have that the schooled mind is, honestly, it's kind of obsequious, right? It's something that defers to power and authority, and it isn't the role of the schooled student to speak up and to speak out. It's the role of experts to do things, right? This is so, so clear in politics, you know? Yeah. where everybody defers to experts. Experts say, pollsters say, experts, 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 experts. And then as soon as you like start digging into some of the stuff, you see that a lot of the experts are really just speaking to their own uh, their own echo chamber, whether it's in quote unquote experts in like philosophy, where especially with postmodern philosophy, it's actually just a bunch of like incoherent dribble. And the SoCal affair, which it's S-O-K-A-L, was an incident in the 90s where this actually was tested, where I believe it was a mathematician uh, submitted a paper to a postmodern studies journal that was literally just jargon, right? So this guy was not mm-hmm. an expert in – he was not an expert in postmodern studies, uh, but he like had a point to prove. And he submitted this paper that just used all this ridiculous expert jargon. And the paper was approved, and it got into the journal, and it got published. And 
that just reinforces this idea that most of these experts are really speaking to themselves. However, people learn for years and years and years deference to them. They never ask, what makes you an expert? Why are you an expert? How did you come to these conclusions? Even though a lot of the subjects that people defer to experts in, it's being proven that the experts are wrong. <laughs> time yeah. and time again. Well, this can even be more sinister if we're thinking not uh, of just the echo chamber, but of, of blatant self-interest in a, you know, you know, especially in an authoritarian way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we might see this a lot through government. And, you know, if we were to watch a political debate when they defer to experts on, you know, how safe an oil pipeline is or the the, the coming extinction event of global warming, warming or whatever, uh, right. how we defer to these. So. Right. And if you actually break down a lot of these things with just a basic level of common sense, you can see where a lot of these problems lie, that either the study group, uh, the N, the number of people participating in it, or the number of subjects wasn't large enough, or that just context wasn't taken into account. So this is one of my favorite things with college, right? Total aside here, is where you see this this statistic trotted out that's like, if you go to college, you're going to make a million dollars more in your lifetime, um, which is actually a different statement than what the study studies actually kind of say, which is that on average college grads earn a million dollars more over their careers than non-college grads. But I just think it's kind of silly because if you actually understand the admissions processes in these schools, in these colleges, they purposely select for people who they think are going to be successful anyway. So there's no, it's not, it's not that the degree makes them successful. It's that there are people who have certain traits that will lend themselves to making more money. That's what it is. So there's another set of traits with the schooled mind uh, that it is fragile. This is one of my favorite ones is that the schooled mind is even in classes designed to benefit from disorder and chaos. These are separate experience from the schooled process. The schooled mind is damaged by disorder. Uh, You learn to do things in certain ways, right? And the opposite of this would be not something being strong. It'd be that it is anti-fragile. So as you experience adverse situations in your life, if you're anti-fragile, you learn from them, you adapt, and you become stronger, right? This is kind of the idea if you're into the startup world, for example, that startups can are very nimble and they can you know, take a huge blow, they can pivot, they can rearrange all their resources and they can move in a different direction much much easier than if a very large company takes a, a, a large blow right a proportionally large blow and for people who are very schooled it's the same way they get out into the world and it turns out that their degrees and their credentials and everybody telling them that they know stuff doesn't actually necessarily translate into them knowing stuff and if you are you used to oh well what would what would i do if you're used to school what would you do next be like oh well i i i I, this is something i i love when i see you know someone who's 24 25 years old been out of college for a couple years in the workforce they're in a career where they're not moving up they're like oh i have to go back to school it's like but that didn't really work for you the first time through (laughs) so why is it going to work for you the second time through it's a very fragile way of thinking about the world the schooled mind is also a mind that's very exogenous 
intrinsically motivated, meaning it's motivated by outside forces, right? Outside things acting on it. There, it's it's the different. It's also like extrinsic motivation versus intrinsic, but it's an easier way of saying uh, extrinsic because it's easy for extrinsic to sound like intrinsic. But it's motivated by outside forces acting on. This is just obvious if you watch kids, right? If you do well in class, you get uh, gold stickers or you get to go out to recess or you get a pat on the head. And if you do poorly, you know, you don't get that extra recess time or you don't get the week off from school because now you have to study for the state exams uh, a little bit longer because the school will lose money if you don't do well. Uh, or if you've got like really awesome, amazing parents of the year, they hit you when you're a kid and you've got bad grades, right? Kids are like Everybody else, they react, they move away from pain, and they move towards pleasure. But school is just so much designed in this pain-pleasure spectrum that people don't really get a chance to choose what their idea of pain and pleasure is. And you can see this again, again, once again, very much later in life. There's a great editorial out there. I think it's from like some newspaper in Texas where it's a business owner saying why he will never, ever, ever hire a millennial ever again. And it essentially boils down to the fact that like, God dang it, this this woman just always wants a pat on the head for everything that she does that's in her job description. She always wants somebody to tell her it will be okay. And then she's always shocked when she does something wrong and the company responds by saying, like, okay, why – by, like, not punishing her outright, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he just responds by saying, like, I can't deal with this. For my company, for what I do, this doesn't make sense. Now – for some companies, that makes a ton of sense, right? If you can just plug and play people into a large bureaucracy that exists already at the company, that makes perfect sense. And it's good to have something like that. So a highly schooled person is going to be very extrinsically motivated, uh, very extrinsically motivated, and it's going to be difficult for them to find intrinsic motivation in certain things around them. And I think really the thing that like defines the schooled mind is the sort of indefiniteness. You know, uh, you Jeff have a, a great podcast uh, on Napoleon Hill and some of Napole- Napoleon Hill stuff. And he, in one of his books, Outwitting the Devil, he talks about the importance of definiteness of purpose. And I think that the common theme that you will find among any person who is successful, whether they're successful in the corporate world, they're successful in their family life, they're successful spiritually, whatever you want to call it, is that they know what they're moving towards. They're very definite in what they want, right? They either want leisure, they want money, they want fame. They they have an idea and they have, as a consequence of that, ways of getting there. School is not designed in that way. It's designed, let's get you to middle school, let's get you to high school, let's get you to college, and then from college, you know, the recruiters are going to come and you can get a job where from the job, let's get you to the next level, let's get you to the next promotion, let's make sure the golden handcuffs are on you. So you're in a position where you can't quit. That Those are... That I think is like at the core of what the school of mind is really like. It's it's mm-hmm. it's amazing to me meeting people who once you understand being schooled, you see them, you're like, okay, this person's very, very schooled. It's very difficult to get like what their end game is, like what they're moving towards. And if they are moving towards something, it's usually something just prestige based. And they don't know why. It's a kind of a sad state of living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, if it's sad now, we're painting. Hopefully, we're painting a vision for for a happier way forward. We're going to switch from identifying the problem to introducing this idea of deschooling. In order to reverse the oppressive effects that schooling had on people, 
in order to free themselves to take control of their lives and decision-making process, most people will have to take formal action to undo the damage the 15,000-hour schooling process incurred. This is called de-schooling. It's the purposeful set of activities, knowledge, behaviors, beliefs, tools, etc. that one needs to employ in order to reverse the effects of schooling. It's a newish concept originally popularized by Ivan Illich in his 1971 book, Deschooling Society, and the term can mean different things. For our purpose, it means reversing the effects of the 15,000-hour schooling process. So would you say that's an accurate definition of deschooling, Zach? Yeah, I, I would say that I'd go a step further and say that it's not necessarily just reversing the effects of the 15,000-hour uh, schooling process. That's where it's most obvious. I think too, there are it's 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 possible to be schooled without spending all those fifteen thousand hours, right? As we've talked about on a, on a couple different occasions so far, the schooling element is also very noticeable in very rigid bureaucratized corporate structure. It's 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 very very noticeable in government. It's uh, very noticeable in parenting. It's becoming more and more noticeable in that. So de-schooling is really moving your moving your mind, moving your conception of how you view the world around you. It's what I call practical philosophy, right? Yeah. It sounds like psychology, but it's really practical philosophy. Yeah, and and you mentioned several institutions there, but we can, you know, we could also uh, include the media in this one. Um, we can include our history. We can include culture. We can include, you know, besides the, uh, you know, the the school, the parent the church, the corporation, the government. So, un unfortunately, these these characteristics of the schooled mind are desired by quite a few constituents in the world. Um, I got almost a, a, a sad amount, you know, almost a tragic amount, a historically, you know, tragic amount. Um, just for, for term clarification, um, some, I've seen online, some use the term de-schooling to mean the same as unschooling. And unschooling is a different is different altogether. That which is removing children from the schooling environment and giving them freedom to learn on their own terms. Uh, so not not to make that confusion. Unschooling is a great concept as well. We could do a whole other series on that. And then I've also used the word deschooling to only mean the transition point between uh, taking a kid out of school and starting homeschooling. And so that's almost a decompression era, you know, time that that lasts maybe several weeks. That a lot that's recommended to homeschoolers, to new homeschoolers. So I'm going to go back to this this four minutes of uh, reading I promised. So at its core, deschooling represents some massively different changes in conventional thought that may may seem incendiary, unnatural, hyperbolic, or plain crazy. These uncommon attitudes or beliefs have to first be accepted before a deschooling process can occur. In this series, we will try to explain these beliefs in some detail. Even though the main scope of the book is de-schooling and not simply a criticism of school itself, and for the listeners now, there's lots of books that we're going to talk, uh, you know, that will at the end of this will recommend to read about the the criticism of school, which will probably include Zach's book, my book, and other people such as uh, John Taylor Gatto, John Holt, uh, Grace Llewellyn, and others. So these beliefs include. One, the traditional and conventional idea of school is not about educating children, but instead a system of indoctrination intent 
uh, intently focused on making children obedient, conformist, and apathetic. So this is a controversial idea in itself. So we recommend that you do not dismiss this idea out of hand, but instead take an open-minded view of this notion as you continue listening. If this fact is not accepted, you will have no chance at reversing school's damage. So that, that might be a bit harsh, because uh, Zach, to what you just said, um, it's not necessarily just schooling that can do this. So let's, let's take this what, of what I just wrote uh, in reflection of, of what you just said uh, about how this is much more broader than just schooling. Okay, the, the, the second belief here is that you yourself have been fundamentally damaged by the schooling process to the point where it affects your ability to act and change. Think about risk, take care of your desires, and alleviate your fears. Next, that reversing the effects of school will be a powerful way to enable your mind and body to do new things, to mitigate discontentment, and, and empower yourself to treat opportunity, authority, ability, attitudes, and risk in whole new ways. Or, at the minimum, you will be better prepared to deal with frustrations that were born from the school experience. Next, that you will begin practices, most of them mental or contemplative in nature, to work through your de-schooling process. So that was, just, I just wanted to say, that was just sort of like an introduction to the series that sort of turns the corner from that problem statement that we spent uh, the last hour talking about and say that now we're going to talk about de-schooling. What we're hoping for, uh, and I'm speaking for you, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, what we're hoping for is that we'll, we'll do this series and that will help people who are sort of lost, lost in life in a way, whether they're, they're high school students uh, in school, whether they're high school students feeling like they have to go to college, whether they're in college and not liking it, whether they're in the, the career that they don't like, or not even just the career, but the whole lifestyle uh, of their consumption pattern, of their work pattern, and who have felt this frustration but don't know what to do. And hopefully, and, and hopefully they never, you know, there's, there's people who are never going to recover from the schooling process. Uh, my, my, I have my parents, you know, both, you know, long into their retirement, still suffered from everything, all that damage that was done from school, of still having to do what they, what they were told to do, of, of uh, what, the, what they thought they had to. Um, there's, you know, people like me who spent a decade sort of stumbling through uh, a breaking out of, of, you know, cracking down on those internal, you know, senses of authority and institution, and then eventually sort of broke through. Uh, some of the most you know hopeful people are people like Zach Slayback, who only you know two years into university, you know, at the age of of twenty twenty one, discovered you know that that they had to come out of this 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 mentality. Um, you know, the world would be a hugely better place if that happened. And then, of course, the there's people who never went through schooling, and then there's people who um, like me as a parent. Uh, have now this very potent decision of whether I subject my own children to this schooling process, and the ideally this 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 series this audio series will be a tool that will help people realize that they've been through this and then start making the change. And we may not have all the answers. I, I doubt we will. We're not going to be engaging in any psychology or like any kind of formal you know, well, university-endorsed uh, licensed psychology <laughs> here. So, you know, the, uh, a lot of this will probably raise more questions to listeners than answers. 
uh, we're going to try to give a lot of, you know, things to think about, but I don't think we're going to have uh, a comprehensive list of answers, but I think we can start everybody on the path of, of sort of self-diagnosis. Yeah. And then, you know, we can at least outline, you know, possible planning scenarios to get out of it. Yeah, I'd say, I, I'd say that our, our goal with this is more than anything else to get people to realize, hey, I'm not crazy. And it's it's not at all, you know, uh, being in a victim mindset or being in, oh, I'm damaged, I need help. It's like, no, recognize something has happened and now pick yourself up and you can get past it. That is what we're trying to do. And for different people, that's going to mean different things. Yeah, we're not therapists, but a lot of what is out there doesn't address this fundamental question of if you spend 15,000 hours going through this process, you are going to come out on the other end with some kind of ways of thinking that are very, very, very deeply rooted in your psyche. Thank you for joining us. You can share this podcast and learn more by going to www.deschoolyourself.com. You may promote this series by rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Host Zachary Slayback is the author of the book, The End of School. Jeffrey Till is the author of the book, Rise Above School. Both are available in hard copy and Kindle at Amazon.com.